0: Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Sharoki, and today we are going to look at Philippians 2.12. What does it mean when Paul says to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? This verse, if not understood correctly, Can be a huge stumbling block in a Christian's walk. This can be a verse that can be misread and mistaught and misunderstood and can really cause some real damage to someone's perception of salvation, which will in turn lead to their misperception of who God is, and can ultimately lead to, you know, some really hard times in someone's walk and life as they try to seek the Lord and get to know Him. Although this is only one verse in a Bible full of amazing descriptions of the character of God, of what pleases and displeases Him, the Living Word is to be read interpreted soaked in by that holy spirit that lives inside of you that will speak to you and reveal what he is saying at the appropriate time but um as one who has a background and came from some false teachings and legalism early in my life and early in my christian walk it's very important and heartfelt to me to understand and also convey what exactly Paul meant and what this verse means when he said to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's something I've referenced a couple of times in a few episodes, and I thought it's about time to uh, take a look at this. So without any further ado, here we go. Alright, so like I said, we are going to begin, we're going to jump around a little bit actually. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. And then I'm going to share some of my thoughts on, We're I'm actually going to tackle this a bit in the reverse. And firstly address what this is not saying according to my own experience as well as research I've done. And um, then we're going to get into the book of Luke. Uh, Second and First Corinthians, and we are going to look at an article by um, Mr. D.L. Moody, who I know in my own experience, I've always seen good leadership always goes to the correct source and finds the right people and puts them in the right position if they don't know themselves exactly, you know, what, um, you know, I guess it's always good to turn to an elder when you have questions, especially when it comes to subjects, anything related to the Lord, a dependable elder, that is. So we're going to look at um, some of his writing, and then we are probably going to finish up here in 1 John. I love the letters of John and Peter at the end of the New Testament. Um they're just so heartfelt. They're so you can just feel the love of just them and the Holy Spirit and it, they're just so warm. They do have some stern warnings, but ultimately they're just to keep us the sheep away from the evil um shepherds and teachers and you know that's ultimately the great concern, and one reason why I'm doing this episode. So, here we go. So, Second uh, Philippians chapter two, verse twelve. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And my note down here, in my Spirit-filled Life New King James Version Bible says, In view of the obedience of Christ and His Lordship, the Philippians should show a like obedience. Paul does not teach that salvation is dependent on one's continued works, but that salvation must express itself in progressive Christian living and upright character, not only individually, but through obedient participation in God's corporate call to a local church. So I think that sums up – That that's a good beginning point for what we're going to talk about. And um, I think that really kind of hits it on the head when basically it really expresses the point that the idea of works and salvation, although they are not mutually exclusive, they are not – Works are the evidence of salvation, but they have nothing to do with obtaining salvation. So, like I said, I mean, if read incorrectly, one could be misled or falsely taught to believe that there is some type of correlation between working into salvation. The... Beautiful thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ is the fact that all of the work is already done. We, we are accepted. We are loved. We are called by the Father out of the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, and filled with the Holy Spirit there is no work thank god there's nothing we can do to obtain something that's already been given to us just think about the the folly in that type of thinking if someone gives you a gift it's a gift it's given to you all you have to do is accept that gift there you know there there's no work there's nothing uh, this is a true genuine gift there's no um you know, there's nothing you've done to earn it. That, you know, it's a ridiculous thought to think that we can, um, you know, uh, persuade someone or, or persuade God in any way. Again, the salvation is a free gift from God determined at the very beginning, before the earth was even created, before the foundations of the world. We were predestined and it was predetermined that God was going to give us this gift of salvation. And again, it's simply our responsibility to answer the call, accept that gift, and then we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which is what we're talking about now. But, um, what you know, fear and trembling, it was it's a figure of speech back and a cultural figure of speech back then. And um, it basically means to live out or demonstrate externally what God is doing spiritually or internally within someone's life. The implication of fear and trembling is not a negative as we tend to think of it in our culture and modern time. But in the context of the times, Back then, it was hard for the first generation believers to really comprehend, and it's still hard for people to accept this, that we are fully forgiven and fully accepted by God the minute we make that profession of faith. And back then, I mean, they were coming from Judaism, from the law, they were coming from very strict religious, remember the scribes and the Pharisees with their rules and just, it was backbreaking for them to keep their religion and to stay in line with how they thought they had to live in those times. So this new, fresh new covenant that Jesus um, opened up to us was very hard for, especially though at that time, those first generation believers and the first beginnings of the church to really understand that you're saved, your salvation, it's done and paid for. So now it's time to get to know God in this awesome new way that he has made again through coming to the earth, being the living walking word as both God and man, 100%. Uh, that the duality of that, that right there is just mind blowing. And then, you know, to think that we are accepted and viewed and clothed in the righteousness of God, because we simply accept him as our savior. That was hard for them to accept then. And it's also uh, very hard for many to accept now. I believe a lot of it now has to do with the fact that people get caught up in sin and they don't understand that they have the power within them when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them to just simply reject Satan, reject that temptation, and eventually he will flee. And then you don't have to walk around with that guilt and weight of sin because, you know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all live in these, you know, sinful bodies and these sinful, um, a sinful world. And of course we have trouble, we stumble, we have impulse and, and we fall. But ultimately, again, the Christian isn't subjected to the weight of walking around in a sinful, continuous lifestyle. If we fall, we repent. We ask the Lord to forgive us. He does. And we learn from those experiences. But you know it's um it's just really important to stress that point that there's you know um definitely not a call for us to work our way into God's good grace or into any type of you know um salvation so to speak so while we're speaking about that let's look at the definition of salvation and This is just quickly Jesus saying this. I'm reading from Luke chapter 9, verse 9, or excuse me, chapter 19, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. That word salvation there means deliverance, preservation, soundness, prosperity, happiness, rescue, general well-being. The word is used both in a material, temporal sense and in a spiritual, eternal sense. The New Testament especially uses the word for spiritual well-being. Salvation is a present possession with a fuller realization in the future. So, And that realization in the future is both the you know, eternal hope we have of actually meeting our Lord and Savior and knowing we are going to meet Him eventually in heaven, and that will be the realization of what that salvation is. But also, the realization is also the works that are produced in fear and trembling. Again, this idea of fear and trembling, we're going to look at it right now, that and again, this was a figure of speech that was used numerous times in the New Testament by Paul to describe different scenarios and situations. So I think it's important to look at those different references, and that gives us a better understanding of ne- that it takes the negative away from what can be implied with that verse in Philippians of working at our own salvation with fear and trembling. So let's look at, again, we're going to look at second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 15, where Paul says, and he's speaking here about Titus. Um, He was received by the church in Corinth and Paul's just giving them some props and saying, thank you. And he says, and his afflictions are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling, you received him. And the note down here says, fear and trembling, they demonstrated respect and deference to the apostles' representative. So that right there is a great comparison, a great, I guess, kind of um, a different way of putting fear and trembling. So fear and trembling, you have respect and deference to a person, or in this case, when speaking of Philippians and salvation, there's nothing wrong with having a respect and a deference for God. Um, Obviously, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in salvation, but there's a healthy respect we have for our heavenly father and there's also, we can correlate it to the healthy respect we have for our good earthly fathers. A good earthly father raises his children to respect him through discipline and through obedience. There's nothing abusive about that. There's nothing fearful per se about that, but you do have a reverence and a healthy fear of knowing the consequences of what happens if you break your earthly father's rules. And that very same application can be made to breaking the rules and the parameters that God gives us for our lives. It's, when it comes to salvation, it's not something, again, it's a free gift, but don't ever take that gift for granted it's, we have a healthy fear to not just run back out. Look, a true Christian, if you're truly saved, you're not going to go run back out and just run to your old lifestyle and do the old things that you used to do because you have a love, care, and a healthy reverence, fear, whatever you want to call it, for God the Father. And you also have an appreciation and, and a recognition of the fact that Jesus Christ died and shed his blood and bought you with a price. So you have a a, a healthy reverence, a healthy deference for that blood that was shed and that sacrifice that was made to purchase you. And it's through that fear and trembling, that respect, whatever you want to call it, that we don't go out and do those sinful things that we used to. And ultimately what that obedience produces, like a good child, it produces a healthy Christian who goes out and with their, (laughs) with their gratitude, joy, peace, and love for their fellow man, they go out and do good works, not in a way of trying to earn anything, But simply, very simply, as an evidence of their salvation, of God truly working in them, working in their life. And that is evidenced by the good works that are produced, the good fruit of the (laughs) vines that are off of the branch of, you know, David, Jesus, the root, whatever you want to call them. We'll get into that at some point, but um, probably around Christmas God already put the Christmas message on my heart and I'm looking really looking forward to doing that because I'm excited to uh, talk about the root of David and the blood the genealogy of Jesus Christ is quite amazing when you look at it but right now we're looking at again this healthy um, respect for the Father and let's be honest, <laughs> God um, he makes heaven and he made hell. And there's a healthy judgment there of, and a just, righteous, holy judgment that is there for the sheep that are the followers of Christ and the goats someday that reject Christ and will be damned to hell eternally. That That produces a healthy, again, we're not scared of going to hell because we're saved, thank God. But Again, just the the reverence, I guess, is a very good way to sum up this idea of fear and trembling. It's a healthy respect we have for God our Father. It's recognizing that this is real. There is no, you know, when you recognize the reality and the gravity of salvation, what was done for you on the cross The fact that you are bought with the blood, shed blood of Jesus, the son of God, and he did that out of love and care for the world, and the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die as a substitute for us, because we all deserve that punishment that Christ took upon himself. and Again, that's that's what produces salvation and a true change of heart, which eventually produces those works. So we're going to look next at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, and here Paul, again, is just speaking, talking to the church of Corinth, and he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. The note down here says, rather, he spoke with fear and trembling, a figure of speech denoting the opposite of self-confidence. And that right there goes hand in hand with um, the true Christian life. We don't walk around boasting in our own abilities or boasting of ourselves we do the opposite. We thank God for our salvation. We boast in Christ alone. As the song says, as the verse says, we don't walk around pridefully looking down or judging people. Absolutely not. We are here to simply work out our own salvation with much fear and trembling meaning we are not self-reliant we don't walk around in self-confidence because that's what legalism produces that's what this if you teach this falsely and you te- and you're taught that you can work your way into salvation then that produces that pride that ego that every time will cause you to stumble and fall that's the danger that's the poison of legalism. when I was unfortunately subjected to those teachings, I was not relying fully on the Holy Spirit, and this is the, here's the error in those false teachings so God gives us fills us with the Holy Spirit and empowers us for everything we could ever ask, including self-control. That's another thing I want to touch on quickly. So sin all comes down to basically having either, either having self-control or not having self-control. So if you're struggling with something in your life, I I urge you, pray and ask God just to give you self-control. Because when you obtain that self-control through just obedience and through the Holy Spirit, then all those acts, all those things that you may be caught up in, they fall to the wayside when you comprehend and understand. It's all a matter of self-control. When you change your mindset, then you really start to understand that concept. And it's pretty incredible to really think. Again, Paul uses fear and trembling as a figure of speech. So, It's a cultural thing. It's something that we have to really understand. And those legalistic teachings actually lead people to stumble and fall because they are not totally 100% relying on God for everything, but rather saying to, and this is so foolish in hindsight, but it's so foolish to say well god i'm gonna do this in order to avoid doing that that again, you're taking something on to, you're 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 trying to fight a battle that you are not equipped in any shape form or fashion. you are not even <laughs> you have no right to try to take up arms against anything spiritual without one hundred percent reliance on the Holy Spirit because again, we talked about putting on the armor of God a little while ago. There's a reason for all of that. Every component is an illustration of us fully surrendering and relying totally not on ourselves or anything we can do, but God and God alone. And that's a very important thing to understand, grasp, comprehend. And um, like I mentioned a little while ago, earlier in this um episode, what we're going to look at next is, again, I'm smart enough to know um, that when I don't have the answer for something, I go to someone, an elder, a resource, someone who's tried and true and truly has a grasp on things. And I'm going to look at uh, what we're going to look at next is a passage by D.L. Moody, basically addressing this exact verse. And it just, it's awesome. And the dude was just, wow. (laughs) You talk about somebody who had a firm grasp on the word of God, was full of the Holy Spirit and was able to just really convey the mind of God in a very amazing modern way. I would say I highly encourage you to look into The teachings and writings of D.L. Moody because he's just an amazing, amazing preacher and teacher. So uh, let's get into this. What does that passage mean? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I want you to emphasize the word your. Work out your salvation. That is most important. You hear people talk of working out salvation when all the time they have not got it. How can you work out what you do not possess? Paul is here writing to the Christians in Philippi. They were already saved by the grace of God. Now that they had got this wonderful gift, he says, go work it out. When you see a person working for salvation, you may know that he has a false idea of the teaching of the scripture. We have salvation as a gift. And of course, we cannot get it by working for it. It is our appreciation of this gift that makes us work. Many people are working and working. As Rowan Hill says, like children on a rocking horse. It is a beautiful motion, but there is no progress. Those who are working for salvation are like men on a treadmill going round and round and round, toiling and toil, toiling and toiling, but nothing comes of it at all. There is no progress and there cannot be until you have the motive power within, till the breath of life comes from God, which can alone give you power to work for others. Suppose I say to my son, you are going away from home and I want to be very careful how you spend that I want you to be very careful with how you spend that $500. Well, he says, if you will give me $500, I will be careful about it. But how can I be careful in spending what I have not got? And so, unless you have salvation, you cannot work it out. Take another illustration. One summer, my boy asked me to give him a piece of ground that he might have a garden all to himself. I said I would give it to him, but that I expected him he would keep it clear of weeds and use it in some way that would make it pleasant and profitable to him. He has to work out that piece of land, but he could not do that until I had given it to him. Neither was it working it out that secured him the garden. I gave it to him freely, apart from, my, from any merit of his own. But I did so on the understanding that he should employ it to the best advantage. I think that it is a fair illustration of working out our salvation that God has given us. Of course, these illustrations fail in some points. I could not impart to my son the willingness to work out the piece of land, though I could provide him with all the necessary implements. God not only gives us salvation freely, but he gives us the power to work it out. A writer says on this point, Paul does not command the Philippians to save themselves. There was no thought in his mind of any meritorious self-righteousness. Man can by no work of his own either procure salvation or merit salvation. God worketh the salvation within the soul. Man only worketh that salvation out in the Christian life. To break off from known sin, to renounce all self-righteousness, to cast ourselves in loving faith on the merits of Christ crucified, to commence to once a life of self-denial, of prayer, of obedience, to turn from all that God forbids resolutely and earnestly unto all that God requires. This is what the text implies. But then this is not salvation. God, salvation is of God, of grace, of free grace. From the germ of the fruit, From foundation to topstone, it is of grace, free grace altogether and only. But the working out of salvation is man's part in the work of salvation. God will not repent for the man, nor believe for the man, nor lead a holy life for the man. God worketh inwardly. Man worketh outwardly, and this outward human work is as necessary as the inward divine work. God works in us, and then we work for him. If he has done a work in us, we certainly ought to go and work for others. A man must have this salvation and must know it before he can work for the salvation of others. Many of you have tried hard to save yourselves, but what has been the end of it all? I remember a lady in north of England who became quite angry when I made this remark publicly. No one in this congregation will be saved till they stop trying to save themselves. Downsey came from the gallery and said to me, you have made me perfectly miserable. Indeed, I said, how is that? Why, I always thought that if I kept on trying, God would save me at some time. And now you tell me to stop trying? What then am I to do? Why let the Lord save you? She went off in something like a rage. It is not always a bad sign when you see a man or woman wake up cross. If it is the word of God that wakes them up. A day or two afterwards, she came and thanked me. She said she had been turning over in her mind what I had said, and at last the truth dawned upon her that though she had worked long, though had formed a good many resolutions, she had made no progress. She gave up the struggle, and then it was the Lord Jesus that saved her. I want to ask you this question If sin needs forgiveness, And all sin is against God. How can you work out your own forgiveness? If I stole $100 from a friend, I could not forgive myself, could I? No act of mine would bring about forgiveness unless my friend forgave me. And so, if I want forgiveness of sin, it must be the work of God. If we look at salvation as a new life, it must be the work of God. God is the author of life. You cannot give yourself life. If we consider it as a gift, we must come from someone, it must come from someone outside of ourselves. That is what I read in the Bible, salvation as a gift. While I am speaking, you can make up your mind that you will stop trying and take this gift. I wish I could get this whole audience to drop the word try and put the word trust in its place. The forgiving grace of God is wonderful. He will save you this very minute if you are willing to be saved. He delights in mercy. He wants to show that mercy to every soul. The religion of Christ is not man working his way up to God. It is God coming down to man. It is Christ coming down to the pit of sin and woe where we are, bringing us out of the pit, putting our feet upon a rock and a new song in our mouth. He will do it this minute while I am speaking, if you will let him. Will you let him? That is the question. Amen. That's an awesome point. I mean, Jesus, for every one of us, reaches down in our pits of despair from heaven and pulls us out of that pit. Nothing we do, nothing we ever thought, no work at all prompted him to do that except his love for us. We are accepted already in Christ. And that that word that point he makes about replacing try with the word trust is just incredible. It's very um enlightening. It really opens your eyes to the fact that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. No works, nothing earns you anything with God. The beautiful thing about this relationship with God, this relationship with Jesus Christ, is it's all about resting in Jesus. I always picture myself just resting in the bosom of Jesus. As corny as that might sound, I picture myself as a child in his father's arms resting. That's why we're called to maintain a childlike, basically... Continence when it comes to our relationship with God and to our Christianity, because we are children of God and we can run to our Father's arms at any time. Don't put roadblocks in between you and God by thinking you can do anything of yourself, because what good father would put any condition on his love for his children? You know? As a father myself, I know when I see my kids, that joy that leaps in my soul and my heart, and I just love to hug them and let them know how loved they are. It's nothing because of what they do. It's simply because I know the care and love I have for them. How much greater the Father's love, Jesus' love, is for us. It's uncomprehendable. It's unattainable through any action. There's nothing we can do to earn it. So put it in the context of that relationship. And this whole idea of fear and trembling really takes on a whole new meaning, a healthy meaning. And again, it was a figure of speech used by Paul. It denotes a positive, a healthy Understanding of God. It's not a negative. And let's finish up here in First John chapter four. We're going to look at verses seventeen and go through chapter five to verse five. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Here comes the part where we're talking about obedience. This, is, this section is called in my Bible, Obedience by Faith. Now, we already, John establishes right there that love is perfected among us. It's a free gift. There's no fear in love. There's no condemnation in love. There's simply the fact that we love him because he first loved us. So here we go. Picking up at verse 20 in 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes That Jesus is the son of God. Now looking down here at the notes. We will look at. The notes for 17 to 19. Possessing God's love results in fearless confidence toward God. And love for the brethren. The one who knows this love. Has no dread of facing God at the judgment. Even now in this world. We are as he Christ is. The comparison is that of positions, not characters. Jesus is well-pleasing to God as his son, and we are God's children, acceptable to him. Love for God must express itself in love for fellow believers. The perfect love that casts out fear sweeps away hate. And then finishing up with the notes here on First John chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. John shows how faith, love and obedience are related to each other. Faith brings us into a loving relationship with God, and faith and love for him leads to love for other Christians and to obedience of His commandments. They are not burdensome. For the practical benefits of obedience to all God's laws are entirely contributive to human good and fulfilling to those who learn their application to life. Our faith brings victory over the world, providing a spiritual weapon by which we can combat both the temptations and the persecutions of a godless society. So again, I mean, that first sentence really sums everything up perfectly. John shows how faith, which is faith in the unseen, which is our first step towards Christ and towards salvation, love, which we are filled with when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us, and then obedience are all related to each other. So I guess that's what this ultimately comes down to in this working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're simply obeying God because he loved us first. He saved us and saved us through his amazing atonement and death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And um, that was really a blessing for me to get to... um, kind of explore that topic. I'm very happy that we could take a minute and look at that verse. I hope that cleared it up for you. It definitely cleared it up for me. Again, there's no negative when it comes to that figure of speech Paul uses in Philippians. It's simply saying that your works are in evidence of your salvation. That's it. God bless. Have a great day.